Well, I want to welcome you here to White Oak this morning. And uh, on behalf of the White Oak Faith family, um, we're just honored because of all the places that you could be today. You're here with us. And uh, man, I'm so glad that we added a second service this year because we would have not been able to get into one service. And so... (laughs) Because the second one's supposed to be a whole lot bigger. So thank you for being here. Um, but man, if you're just enjoying being a part of today and, and really everything that it's about in this gathering, would you say amen? Amen. amen. And we're going to try it again, church. You did great the first time. He is risen. He is risen. Indeed. Well, as always, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you personally, I just want to introduce myself really quick. My name is uh, Pastor John. I have the privilege of being the, uh, the lead pastor here at White Oak for the past five years now. And um, if you are new or you're looking for a church, I just want to say really quick, this is a wonderful time uh, to get involved in the life of our church because as we're going to talk about here in a little bit later in the service, uh, we are currently restarting our church or replanting our church. Um, Nothing that we believe is changing, but um, just our commitment to the community and the way that we present ourselves. And so in the fall of this year, we're going to restart our church as New Day Church. And so if you're not doing anything on September 15th, 2019, you should come join us. It'll be our first Sunday. But also, if you're wanting to build a a great church for this community, um, a great local church, then we would love for you to be a part of this with us. And this is a a good way to get in from like the ground level with everything that we know that God's going to do here. So, uh, but my title this morning is entitled uh, Resurrection Revelations. Turn to your neighbor and say that's a mouthful. Resurrection Revelations. Coming out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, let's meet there. We're going to stand here in one second, not quite yet. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. But um, the reason why I entitled it that this morning is because uh, I'm going to take a, a wild guess at something. And maybe this is not true. But I have a feeling that for all of you that are here that have shown up today, you probably know that he is risen, okay? So Jesus was crucified on the cross. The church historically celebrates that on Good Friday a couple of days ago. And three days later on Sunday, he rises again, conquering Satan, sin, and death forever. We have hope in him. Living hope is that song we sang just proclaimed. And yet I'm guessing you've probably already known that. That's why you're here today. If you didn't, you're like, oh my gosh, he rose. I'm so glad I got to be the one to tell you. You know, it's, oh my goodness, he rose, you know, which that'd be really cool. But I, I have a feeling most of people know that he rose. Even people in our culture who don't believe in Jesus know the claim that he rose. But so often as a pastor, when I talk to people, what I find is true for most people, myself included, and probably you, is that though that we know Christ rose from the dead, we often don't really understand fully what that means for our life. And so if you're, if you're new to the faith, you probably have no idea. And even if you've been in church for a long time, like we forget, okay? Because if we didn't forget, we would always have hope and peace and we'd be happy and we'd be optimistic, but we so often forget the power of the resurrection. So I want to remind you of this today, but I want to boldly proclaim to you what Christ gives us in the resurrection. And I want to encourage you to place all of your faith in this today because it will change everything in your life. And so I want to talk about the resurrection today, but from a very particular passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. And the reason why I'm doing this is because what Peter did does is he's talking to the early church and he's telling them what the resurrection means for us. That's what he's doing in this passage. Peter, who is the famous uh, lead disciple of Jesus and the early leader in the church in Acts, if anybody knew what the resurrection meant, it was Peter. And so we're going to hear his words today, and yet these words are written to a very particular church. And the church that he's writing to is facing persecution. 
And so they're living in this weird tension between we have the hope of the resurrection, but life is really difficult. Can you relate? Raise your hand. It's like, I believe in Jesus, but life is tough. I believe in Jesus, but like marriage is tough. I believe in Jesus, but my kids are crazy. I believe in Jesus, but I hate my job. I believe in Jesus. You know, all these kinds of things. And what he seeks to do is to remind them of the hope that they have, but specifically through the resurrection, as we're going to see here in our passage. And so let's meet together in 1 Peter chapter 1. And would you stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word on this Easter morning? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, as always, it'll be up on the screen behind me. Peter, writing to the church, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, there's that word, of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. And so I want you to understand this text this morning because I don't just want to gloss over the resurrection It's been changing the world for the past 2,000 years, and yet it only changes our lives when we personally understand what it means for us. And the beauty of this passage, as I direct you not to my words or my eloquence, but to the the perfect word of God here in 1 Peter, I want to go through this piece by piece, and I want to help you to understand the fullness of what this means for you. So let's let's soak in this this morning, beginning in verse 3. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so God reveals many things to you and to me in the resurrection. He's speaking to us through this. The resurrection is not just a spectacle. It's not just something that we look at and say, oh, that's really cool. The resurrection has a lot of meaning for us. And what verse 3 says, number one, is that the resurrection reveals the gospel. If you're a note taker, write that down. The resurrection reveals the gospel. And let me explain what I mean by that. Religion says this. Religion is all about what we do for God. That's what religion is. Religion says, be good enough be moral enough, be holy enough, and you will be fine. But what Christianity claims is that all of us, Romans 3.23, are sinful. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and so we can never be good enough. And so as where religion focuses on what we do for God, the gospel or the good news of Jesus and Christianity focuses on what God, on what God has done for us. 
Christianity says receive grace and you will be fine. Not be a perfect person and you will be fine. And the reason why the resurrection proclaims the gospel is because it is about what the death and the resurrection of Jesus did for us. Notice what it says. It is the resurrection that makes us right. It is the resurrection in which we find hope, not that we are a perfect person. And the problem in America is most people think they know what Christianity is and they do not know what Christianity is. People say, what's Christianity about? They say, oh, it's about going to church. Oh, it's about being a better person, you know. Oh, it's about serving people as much as you can. And those are all wonderful things, but that is not the central claim of Christianity. It does not say that we are saved to a living hope according to how amazing you are in this life. Doesn't say that, right? Not according to how good of a parent you are, how great your marriage is, according to how often you go to church. None of those things are the justification for why we have a living hope and are born again. It is solely through the resurrection. And church, let's, let, let's not let this fall on deaf ears today. Let, let, let's let this sink in deep. God is forgiving. God is merciful. He doesn't have to be, but he is. It is who he is. He is forgiving to you. He is forgiving to me. I always say, if I was God, I probably wouldn't be forgiving. I'd give up. I'm like, well, I don't get you guys. Like, forget you. Like, I made you. I gave you this this beautiful worth. I mean, look at this weather this past week. I gave you this perfect weekend, and you're going to ignore me? Forget you. That's what I would say. But that's not what God says. And so he says, according to his great mercy, the resurrection reveals the gospel because we don't earn the resurrection. God wasn't like, you're finally good enough, so I'm going to send my son to die for you and rise again. He just does it because he loves us. And so today there's hope for you because if you're tired or frustrated or burned out or fearful of failure, look to Matthew 11 up on the screen. It says this, this is Jesus. He says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, trust in me, come to me. You can't be perfect, but I'm going to forgive you and love you and sanctify you anyway. We can rest in the resurrection. The resurrection reveals the gospel You see, religion cannot work because it is an impossible standard that you can never measure up to. If you're familiar with our community, uh, you know that there's this really weird thing about me where one of my favorite movies is uh, Legally Blonde. And uh, I I reference it in like one out of every 10 sermons and people get a kick out of it. So I always like to do it. Um, I like Legally Blonde and I like Creed. And I don't care what you think. Y'all are haters, but I think they're amazing. And um, I don't necessarily recommend you watch it because I watched it back in the day when I was a lot less discerning about what I put in front of my eyes. But all that said, it's a hilarious, hilarious movie. And you've probably seen it because it's like always on TNT over the holidays and stuff and everybody watches it because it's such a good movie. Um, but, uh, but the main uh, plot in the movie, if you've watched it, is uh, Reese Witherspoon, who's Elle Wood. She plays a fantastic character in this, right? She's so funny. She's so ditzy, but she's also so smart. It's this beautiful blend. You know, I just love it so much. And uh, it's just hilarious to watch. But at the beginning of the movie, she's dating this guy named Warner. And he's a complete tool. Say, Warner, boo. Boo. Complete tool, complete jerk. And at the beginning of the movie, she thinks he's going to propose to her because they're the perfect couple. And it's the famous scene at the beginning when she thinks he's going to say, will you marry me? And he's like, I think we should break up, you know. And she's like devastated. And her whole world's falling apart. She's crying in the restaurant. 
And the whole point of the movie is she's going to try and prove to this guy that she's good enough for him because not only does he dump her, but he tells her, this is so bad, the reason why I'm dumping you is because you're not smart enough, right? And you're not serious enough in life. That's horrible, right? So he tells her, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, not serious enough. And so she's going to prove him wrong. And how is she going to do it? She's going to get into Harvard Law School where he's going, and she's going to be an amazing law student. And he's going to see how smart and serious she is, and then he's going to want to be with her forever, and it's going to be happily ever after. That's the point of the movie. And so she gets into Harvard against what everyone thought would happen. She gets into Harvard, and not only that, but she becomes a better law student than even he is. And she's showing him up, and there's this one point in the movie when everything changes where she thinks, finally, he's going to accept me because I'm good enough and I'm smart enough. And it's the famous line where he says, you're not good enough. And she says, you know what, Warner? I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? Right? But that's, yeah, I love that. But that's the moment in the movie when everything changes, right? You ever been with somebody who wasn't right for you and it was keeping you from being with the person who was right for you? Yeah? You ever been in a bad job that was keeping you from the right job? You ever been in a bad situation keeping you from the right situation? And that's the moment in the movie when everything turns and it ends happily ever after. And that's what Jesus is saying to us in the resurrection is quit looking to religion. Quit looking to yourself. Quit looking to something that cannot satisfy you. Jesus in the resurrection is saying, look, I'm going to do it spectacularly. I'm going to rise from the dead and look at me. God's saying, look at how much I love you. Look at how much I'm doing for you. Look at how perfect I am. Look how good my word is. Look how good my ways are and quit looking at yourself. And that's what religion says is it puts a mirror in front of you and says, just keep being better. Just keep being better. Just keep improving yourself. And the problem with religion, as you know this, is that you can never be perfect. And so what God is revealing in the resurrection is the gospel, because according to whose great mercy, church? His great mercy. We are saved. So the resurrection proclaims the gospel because the work of Jesus is at the center, not our perfect works. Let's continue on in verse 4. This is where it gets really, really, really good. He says, so we've been saved, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that sounds good, doesn't it? Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So at the end of the sermon today, I'm going to talk about faith. So I'm going to ignore verse 5 just for a moment because we're going to hit that at the end. But I want to focus on verse 4 because, um, and we're going to talk about your life here in a second. We're going to talk about the present. But I think in our day and age, we don't focus on heaven enough. We don't focus on eternity. We don't focus on what happens when we pass from this life and into death. We, we don't focus on that enough And yet in the resurrection, what God is revealing, this is a theological point. The resurrection reveals heaven. The resurrection reveals heaven because Jesus dies and then he rises again. In Colossians 1 verse 18, it should be up on the screen. It says in reference to Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, get this, the firstborn from the dead that in everything... He might be preeminent. 
And so by firstborn, it means first, like Christ rises before we rise through our faith in Christ in the last times. And so he's the firstborn, meaning there's more to come. And this is what scripture teaches us is that heaven is real. So in the resurrection, what God is revealing is that there is life after death. There is life after death. If you wanted there to be hope, and it's not just a fanciful idea, the scriptures clearly proclaim to you and me that there is life after death. I was reading just randomly in Ecclesiastes last night. I think it's like chapter four or chapter two, and it talks about how God has put eternity in a man's heart. And that's so profound because we all long for eternity, and we never ask, where did that desire come from? What reason would you desire that for? Why do we long for that? And Scripture says that God himself placed that desire deep in your soul. He created that ache that you have to live forever. And in the resurrection, God is showing us how. Theologically, God is showing us through the resurrection that there is life after death as demonstrated in Christ. He's showing us that that life in heaven is perfect, like Christ is perfect. It's showing us that we come to this through Christ because he's the head of the body. He's the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. In John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so heaven is real. Heaven is perfect. It shows that our struggles are temporary because he did suffer. He did die, but he rose again. And Jesus ain't suffering no more. Amen, right? And so what he's showing is that your problems are temporary, but glory is eternal in Christ. And just really quick, I feel like I should just mention this. I think when people think of heaven, right, they think of like a lot of white, you know, a lot of naked babies flying around with wings, you know, harps. A friend of mine said, man, that sounds like hell. And I totally agree, right? That, that doesn't sound like heaven, right? And, and we're like in the clouds for the rest of our life and we're like above the earth and there's like all these images and that, that's just cultural, And I don't have time to go into it because my time is limited this morning, but biblically, when you look at what all of Scripture says about heaven, the best way that I can describe it and the way Scriptures talk about it is there's like this broken world and there's like this spiritual reality of heaven. And then in the end and the last times when heaven comes and when we go to it, it's almost like the two come together. And so heaven comes here and we live in a perfect world essentially forever with God. And so it's like a perfect world. It's not like a bunch of white. And so it's almost like when you think about it, it's everything that we long for. We, we like certain things about this world except all the, the pain and the sin and the evil and the death and the hurricanes and the floods and all of those things go away in the end. And God is speaking to uh, this to us today. And yet some people often say, well, you know, I don't think there's an afterlife. And I've often heard that from people, especially maybe if they're not super familiar with Christianity and they say things like, you know, well, I just don't think there's an afterlife. I just feel like once you die, that's it, you know. And what I would just like humbly submit to you, right, is I'm guessing that the first time you were born, like you didn't think that was going to happen, right? Um, And so I just want to say that if there's already been one time in which regardless of your opinion and regardless of what you thought and regardless of how likely you thought it to be, you just showed up in reality and just showed up in this world, right, because God wanted it to happen, it's not a stress to say that's probably going to happen again, okay? Just throwing that out there, okay? But heaven is real, okay? Heaven's real, right? And you didn't choose to show up, right? And so the Bible's saying there is heaven in the end. This life is not all that there is. And the wisdom of man and the thoughts of man are nothing in comparison to God. Man did not create this universe. And man doesn't even claim to have created this universe. So man doesn't know everything. 
And so on a scale of one to 10, if I were to ask you tonight, if you die, I love it. Why is it always tonight? You're always going to die tonight. You know, it's like, if you were to die today, you know, on the way home, right? Are you sure that you would go to heaven? On a scale of one to 10, I, as your pastor, I just hope it's 10 out of 10. There's no reason to live with, um, with fear. There's no reason to live with uncertainty because the resurrection has changed the world and God invites you into this today. So in the resurrection, God is revealing heaven to us. Let's continue on, right? So we're talking about heaven and eternity. Let's talk about the present today. That's what Peter talks about next in verse 6. First Peter 1, verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, there's that word, revelation of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection reveals the gospel, the good news, that it's by God's work through Christ, not us. It reveals heaven and the hope that we have in the end. But for this life, the resurrection reveals hope. It reveals hope in the present, hope in the midst of your, your pain and your suffering and your difficulties because this church that he's writing to, they're facing persecution. The place that they're living hates them. People around them are, are dying and they're like, man, we've got this massive hope in the resurrection and yet life is still difficult. And yet what Peter says is that's why hope exists because in verse 3 he says, you're born again to a living hope. And the reason why hope exists is because of this, is because God is in control and it's all going to work out in the end, but we're still in this broken world and we still have problems. Hope is what helps us with this tension that God is making all things new, and yet the fullness of that time has not yet come. We all love the phrase, um, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We all love that phrase, you know, it's on like the posters and stuff, you know. And so we, we claim that so he, will, he will bring completion, the work that he began in you, and then God's like, yeah, that's going to include some trials. And we're like, nope, never mind. I'm okay, God. Let me, leave me half done, half baked. I'm okay with that, God. You know what? If it's going to take trials, no, right? But what Scripture teaches, and it's not just here, it's in several places. And if we could just get this, it would change everything. That God uses all of your difficulties to grow you, to sanctify you, to mature you in faith. Every single one, and we forget that so often. If you could just stay rooted here for all of your life, no matter what you go through, no matter what tragedy you've been through, no matter what pain, no matter what problem, how hopeful is it that everything that happens, God uses for our good. We have hope in our trials that every pain is producing maturity in us. As it says in Romans 8, 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, not 50%, right? Not 75%, not 90, not five. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so if you are with Jesus, it's all working for your good. Let me remind you of that truth today. Every pain, every problem, every struggle, every tragedy, God is weaving it together for your good. Do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. Do not lose faith because God is at work in your life. He's not lost control of the steering wheel. He is with you. He is guiding you. And he has something amazing in store for you. Here's the resurrection truth today. 
that God allows trials not for our destruction, but for our development. Every single one. That God allows trials. He does allow them, but it's not for your destruction. It's for your development. And here's the problem that I see so often. And, and maybe this is you here today. Maybe you're on the ledge of faith and about to just to, to get out of the Jesus train. Let me just say one more thing. Let me beg with you, right? The problem so often is this. Is that God does things in our life and he will test us in this life. And we often give up in the places where God wants us to grow up. We give up when God wants us to grow up. And the thing that destroys your faith, God meant to develop your faith. And we lose sight of his word. And so we think everything's falling apart and everything is bad. And my spouse is crazy, you know. And, and this job has, will produce no good in my life, you know. And there's no way this tragedy or this sadness or this depression or this despair or this anxiety could ever produce anything good. And what the scriptures say is God works all things together for good. See, trials, they don't create your problems. They reveal your problems. You think the problem is your, is your trial, but the problem in the trial, the, the problem is what that trial is producing within you and what God is revealing is not, he's not trying to rub your nose in it. He's just trying to say, hey, look, you're not as strong here as you need to be. And so your trial reveals the problems within you. Your, your trials reveal the places where you don't quite trust God enough yet. And so God is growing you up in that. See, trials are necessary because you can't have victory over all the things you're still afraid of. And often we're just kind of avoiding things in life, you know. It's like, God, I love you, but, but don't bring me there. You know, I, that would be hard, you know. And often God takes you right through it. And the reason is because he wants Philippians 4.13, not just to be a bumper sticker in your life, but to be true when it says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But he's got to show you that by taking you through some rough places and showing you when you get through it to see that wasn't so bad, was it? You got through it. I was with you. You're stronger. You can do anything. See, that's what God wants to show us. It's like a teacher, you know, like, why does a teacher test her students, right, or his students? You know, if a teacher said, hey, y'all got this information, they'd be like, yeah, we got it. We're good, you know. Do I need to test you on 10th grade biology? No, I know all the stuff, you know. But the teacher tests anyway, right, and then half y'all fail because you didn't study, you know. But that's what happens, right? The test reveals where we're really at. And God's a good teacher, and God has your good in mind. I'll just say one more thing on that really quick before we move on to the last point. Um, l- let me tell you, let me tell you when you start defying this world, it's right here. When you start telling God, thank you for that trial. This is going to sound crazy, right? God, thank you for my depression, because you're using it. God, thank you for cancer, Thank you for the disease, God. Thank you for the suffering. Thank you for this marital problem, God, because I trust you with it. And I trust that you're doing something good in it. When you begin to tell people that you're thankful for even your struggles, they will see the resurrection power living inside of you. So often I think we think, well, you know, if I just kind of help somebody across the street or do something or give somebody a gift or whatever, they'll see God's power in me. But I think specifically in our day, maybe the greatest way to proclaim the resurrection power of the gospel is to have hope in the midst of your suffering. 
is to say, thank you, God, for the trials. I believe that you are working in me. And so the resurrection of Jesus is proclaiming that there is resurrection in the end, in heaven for us. And we hope in that and we trust in that even when life is difficult currently. Let's look at verse 8. Let's look at the last couple verses here. He starts talking about faith. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Referring to Christ. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And the last point is this. The resurrection reveals what faith is. And let me explain what I mean by that. The resurrection reveals what faith is. It's because whenever we place our faith in the resurrection, we did not see him rise from the grave, but we believe, as the passage says. And we don't see Jesus currently standing in front of us in person, though we believe, as the scripture says. And so the fact that we have faith in the resurrection shows us what faith is because we believe in something that we have not seen and yet that is true regardless. And yet here's where most people struggle with faith, I think. And I think most people struggle with faith because they don't understand it. When I say the word faith, so often what people hear is like, um, I don't really believe in it, but I'm going to go with it anyway just because maybe things will be better in my life as long as I believe this. Or I don't believe it, but I wish it were true. Or when they think of faith, they think the Bible's calling us to blind faith. But that's not what the Bible is saying. It's like the famous Mark Twain quote. I love this. It's not true, but he says, faith is believing in what you know ain't so, right? It's kind of funny, right? But it's not true, okay? Because the Bible gets to define what it means by faith. And that God does define what he means by faith in the Bible. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, most theologians use this verse as like the definition of what the Bible means when it says faith. And it says this. Now, faith is the, notice this word, assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. And the word used for faith right there is the Greek word that says pistis. Turn your day over and say pistis. You're going to learn that today. I was really bad at Greek in college, but I remember that word, right? And the reason why I remember that word in particular is because it's used 243 times in the New Testament alone. The New Testament is built on this concept of faith. And yet what the Bible means when it says faith, what that word means is confidence or assurance. And so when the Bible says to have faith in the resurrection or faith in Jesus, it's not saying it's not true or there's, there's no evidence for it, right? It's saying that we can have a confidence in something, but it is something that is unseen. There's a lot of reasons for the resurrection. The Bible tells us it happened. They could have easily quelled all the, the movement with the early Christian movement if they just would have found the body, but they never found the body of Jesus, it's the greatest movement historically in the world that's ever happened. There's more evidence that Jesus existed than Plato or Aristotle. We have this universe which proclaims God exists. And if you don't believe in God after the weather this weekend, you are crazy, okay? God is real. This weekend was amazing. Praise him. I love that, yeah. <laughs> but that's not... Faith is not just believing in what you know ain't so. Faith is the means by which you obtain spiritual realities. And so let me give you just a quick example and then we'll be done. It's like if I were to tell you, okay, um, 
I, I called you up on stage. I was going to do this, but I'm out of time. Imagine I said, go bring me that microphone right there. You would walk up on stage, you would grab that microphone, and you would bring it to me, and you would hand it to me. That's what you would do. But then what if I told you, okay, thanks for doing that. Now go over there and grab me love and bring it over here. Go over there and grab me hope and put it in a box and bring it to me. Go back to that room, grab success and bring it up here for me. I'd like to see that really quick. You couldn't do it. Because those things are unseen spiritual realities. They are not tangible And so when the Bible is talking about salvation and belief in the gospel, God can't hand you salvation in a box and you open it and put it on yourself. Salvation is a spiritual reality. And what God is teaching you is he's enlightening you that you can't just grab spiritual realities the same way you grab something with your hand because physically you use your hand to grab things. But how you grab things with your soul because salvation is a spiritual matter is through faith. That's what the Bible means when it says faith. It doesn't mean blind ignorance. There's a lot of reason to believe in the resurrection. So if my wife says that she loves me, if I don't have faith that she does, I don't receive the benefit of her love. And so in a sense, faith is like the hands of the soul. It's the hands of your heart. It says, obtaining, verse 9, the outcome of your faith. So faith births something and faith births salvation because as verse 8 says, you can't see him, but he is true. And so as we draw to a close here today, I want to leave you with one more powerful verse. It's in John 11, starting in verse 25 and 26. Jesus says this, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? And so as we draw to a close today, we have talked about how there is good news, that God is loving and he is forgiving God has revealed to you today that there is heaven, that it is real, and that we can be there in the end. The scriptures have proclaimed that there is hope in your trials, even though for a while you've been through things. It's producing good in your life. And then to close it, he walks us through faith and says that faith produces salvation in us because it's how we obtain spiritual realities. When God says believe, he's not asking you to be crazy or to be putting your faith in something unlikely. He's saying, come seek me and come find me with all of your heart. And so as we draw to a close, I want to invite you, if you've never done it before or if you're not certain, to place your faith in Jesus today and receive new life. See, so often what I think happens is we we talk about these things and and maybe no one's ever asked you, like, do you want to place your faith in Jesus today? Do you want hope? Do you want peace? Do you want eternal life? And as we draw to a close, I'm I'm not going to try and persuade you today because I've been praying for you this entire week. I've been praying that God would work in your life and move in your heart And so I believe that God has been preparing you all week. And so this time, kind of every head bowed, every eye closed.
want us to bow our heads today because right now this isn't about the person sitting next to us. It's not about the preacher. It's not about our family or how we were raised. Because he wanted to get your attention and invite you to put your faith and your trust in him to obtain the spiritual reality of salvation and new life. God wanted to tell you this world cannot satisfy. God wanted to remind you that he created you, that he loved you first, and that he's always been there. And then no matter how far you've run, no matter how much bad you've done, he's not given up on you because he created you for a relationship and he wants one with you today. And so if you want to put your faith in Jesus today, just pray this simple prayer with me right where you're at. Just repeat after me. Place your faith in the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I know that you are holy. I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I place my faith in you. I give all of my life to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for empowering me with your Holy Spirit. I love you. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just let us know that